Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to episode two of series 12 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. When the CEO cites the internal talent marketplace you've helped to create as a major contributor to revenue during the company's quarterly earnings call, you know you've achieved something pretty special. That's what happened to my guest for this week's episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Jeroen Wells is the Executive Vice President for HR at Unilever and the architect of Flex Experiences. Flex Experiences is Unilever's thriving internal talent marketplace, which is currently used by 65,000 global employees who are able to share their skills and experience with people on other teams and in other countries. During their quarterly earnings call for the first quarter of 2020, Unilever CEO Alan Joe highlighted how by using Flex Experiences, the company had been able to redeploy over 3,000 people from parts of the business with low demand to the areas that were seeing high demand due to the pandemic. As you'll hear from Jeroen in this episode, Flex is a standout example of a talent marketplace and the impact both to the business in terms of agility and unlocked hours and employees in helping them discover their purpose and support their careers is huge. In our conversation, Jeroen and I discuss the journey of talent marketplace at Unilever so far and what is coming next. We look at how the events of 2020 cemented the business case for talent marketplace in Unilever. We also look at uh, Jeroen's horizon thinking approach to working with HR technology companies and startups. And we ask whether talent marketplace will mean that jobs won't exist anymore. This episode is a must listen for anyone interested or involved in agile transformation, employee experience, learning and internal mobility. So that's business leaders, CHROs, and anyone in a people analytics, learning, or HR business partner role. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Gloat. Gloat's AI-powered talent marketplace allows enterprises to break down the silos, slowing them down, and enables agile, future-ready workforces. Gloat matches employees with internal opportunities by autonomously aligning talent capabilities and aspirations with the needs of the business. As a result, managers gain frictionless access to untapped talent at speed, reducing their reliance on hiring externally, while employees gain access to meaningful development opportunities and experiences, including projects, new full-time roles, mentorships, and more. The real-time data generated by the platform provides leaders with immediate visibility into the skills, aspirations, and availability of the workforce. Gloat pioneered the talent marketplace category and is trusted by some of the world's leading global enterprises today, including Unilever, Schneider Electric, Standard Chartered Bank, PepsiCo, Nestle, and many more. To find out more, visit gloat.com. That's G-L-O-A-T.com. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Jeroen Wells, uh, Executive Vice President for HR at Unilever to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Jeroen, it's fantastic to have you on the show. Hi, David. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, before we start, get going, can you provide listeners with a, a brief inter- introduction to your background and your role uh, at Unilever? Yeah, very much so. Uh, and I must say, I have to make you a compliment already, David, because you are one of the few British-speaking people that pronounce my name pretty close. How my mom would uh, would announce it. So 
kudos to you already. Thank you. <laughs> I'll see if I get it right for the rest of the time. <laughs> yeah, let's see. So now you're doing you're doing a great job already in that. Now, I think my uh, my job is best to be explained by uh, three hats that I'm uh, I'm wearing. Uh, first and foremost, I'm business partnering our beauty and personal care division that we have. Then I'm also business partnering our chief digital marketing officer for our digital transformation that we do. Uh, the third hat is a big passion point for me, which is uh, heading up uh, everything that has to do with talent in, uh, in Unilever. Probably the reason why you invited me to the show. Wow. So three hats. That's that's really impressive. Well, I'm sure we'll, we'll I, I guess during the conversation, we'll probably talk about things that relate to, to different parts of, of, of your role. Yeah, I will do so, David. Some, sometimes it makes a lot of sense to, uh, to wear those three hats. If you drive digital transformation, you want to do that in a core part of your business. Talent is involved in that, obviously. Sometimes it doesn't make sense at all because then you're just way too stretched uh, as uh, with your accountabilities. But most of the times it makes a lot of sense. Well, I know today we're going to talk about something. We shared a platform actually um, a few months ago, actually, at a, at a conference. I think you spoke after me. So you, I think the audience were, were waiting for you and, uh, and the numbers went up quite significantly when, when you started speaking. But you, you spoke a lot about the talent marketplace that you've created at Unilever Flex Experiences. You know, it really is, you know, I'm lucky because you, you talked to me about doing this two or three years ago as well. It's a real standout example of talent market transformations. Can you give um, our listeners an update on where you are currently on ta- in your talent marketplace journey? Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're now, I think, around uh, three years uh, in when we started for the first time with a actually very small ID and a minimal viable product to test it. In, thousand, in a group of 1,000 people of uh, uh, ITers that worked a lot of projects to see if we could unlock the capacity in one hand and at the same time make sure that people were able to develop new skills by being put on projects. But we wanted to put an algorithm in place that would do the matching automatically of I've got a project with skills needs and here are people that want to either offer new skills or want to develop new uh, new skills. So since then, three years ago, Fast forward to uh, today, particularly during uh, the crisis, uh, in less than uh, than a year, we unlocked uh, half a million hours of people that raised their hands to get on projects to offer their skills or learn a new skill. And from a team lead's perspective, uh, we managed to uh, offer those hours up for people that needed them on projects that were uh, of high strategic uh, value for us because they were really, uh, really urgent. So I would say we are now at a stage in, uh, in creating a telemarketplace where the technology is working. People love the technology and give us constantly feedback uh, on it. But more importantly, I think we're starting to really shift the culture and that we become much more focused on what type of people do you need on a project? Where can I get them? Creating that transparency. Uh, and at the same time, saying to people, if you join a project, you learn much more about uh, new skills you can offer up your skills. So that cultural change, new ways of working, I feel quite uh, pleased about. So in a nutshell, that's where we are. Uh, but there's so much more to do, David. I bet, I bet. And, and remind me, how many, how many people um, are at Unilever? So, so we've got 160,000 people at uh, Unilever, about. Uh, there are a lot of people, obviously, uh, working in the factories and on our plantations as well. And we've got uh, 65,000 uh, people that are working in the sales force for us or have more office-related uh, uh, jobs. And currently, the scope that we have is around those 65,000 uh, people where we create a telemarketplace. And we're looking for ways to also unlock 
uh, the people that are working for us uh, in the factories. Uh, and that's one of the next uh, leaps that we want to uh, make. So how can we really offer up the upskilling for people that are actually in the front line? And how can we prepare them for the future of work? How do we make sure that we also focus on their uh, on their skills as they, uh, as they further develop themselves? So, I mean, at the moment, that's 65,000 people with a lot of skills across those 65,000 people, some of, some of which, I guess, are almost hidden from what they do on their day job, if you want to call it that. And also a, a thirst for learning as well. And, and with the talent marketplace, you're combining both of that, giving yourselves more flexibility, I guess, and, and helping support projects for work that needs to be done now. Effectively. Yeah, effectively. And, and I would say uh, it's not only about skills. Yeah? So we have a lot of uh, emphasis that we put on uh, developing new skills and trying to understand which skills do we have, but also which one do we need to develop for the future? How can we close that uh, gap? And I think uh, particularly because of the pandemic, everybody is acutely aware what a massive shift we're going to see in the coming three to five years. For me and for us, that's not the only thing. It also is about experiences that you have. Yes, you can have a skill, but how do you make sure that you build the right set of experiences where you deploy those skills that really create the all-round professional or the specialist in yourself so that you can build a career? And we actually try to make it take it one step further. Or actually, we want to start there. And it is, what is your purpose? What is it that you want to get out of your professional life and out of your life? What kind of experiences do you want to have in work? And what kind of skills do you therefore need to build to take on jobs and roles that are relevant in the future? So we, we turn it upside down in that sense. So it's not only about skills. Start with purpose. Work through what kind of experiences you want to have, i.e. a direction of your, where you want to take your career. And then make sure that you are relevant for the direction that you want to take. And that is what you do through your skills, because then the skills that you build up become the currency with which you can invest behind your career experiences and therefore fulfill your purpose. And that's what we really are after. Yeah. Well, that's a very compelling way of putting it as well. I think it's, 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 it makes me wonder why Talent Marketplace hasn't been around for a lot longer, I guess partly because the technology that's powering it now and the algorithms yeah. behind it and able us to actually do stuff that maybe we would have wanted to do in the past but weren't able to. Yeah, and, and I think we shouldn't be too harsh on ourselves either eh? because there are a lot of companies that have had uh, talent very high on their agenda always. And through more, uh, I would say, talent forums or talent processes, uh, people were trying to create a marketplace, uh, trying to break down the boundaries between functions, trying to break, uh, break down the boundaries between uh, local organization units, regional and global uh, units. Uh, but there's a, a friction in that, a huge friction of intransparent visibility on where your talent sits, what kind of skills they have. You don't know what you have in one place that you could combine with another place. And algorithms, if applied in the right way, and machine learning can help you to unlock that. Um, I call that the uh, democratization of the talent uh, processes that you have. So the talent marketplace really is about demand and supply. It starts from the ones that benefit from it, which is the team lead and the employee, because they put forward upon what they want to be matched upon, whether it's a skill or an experience or what kind of need they have if you talk about uh, a team lead. So I think we shouldn't be too harsh on ourselves that telemarketplaces haven't existed. It was a telemarketplace with a lot of frictions. Technology can really put it at work for our employees, basically. So I think it's a unique 
not a unique, but it's a, a key example of how you can build employee experiences enabled by technology. And I think what the great thing about it is, you know, obviously we do a lot of work, I do a lot of work around the people analytics space, you know, and there's some concern around the data that the companies are looking at. You know, and what I always say is that actually the most important thing is there's a fair exchange of value so that the employee yeah. gets value back from the data that they're sharing with the organization. And this is particularly the way that you've set it up, how it's linked to purpose and the experiences that you want. Clear, you can see the benefit, you know, as you said, the two audiences, the benefit for um, the employees, but you also see the benefit for the organization and the team manager as well. It's, 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 it's the way people data should be used. It's nice that you say that, David, actually, and I've never thought about it uh, like that. But uh, what I did think about is how come that people didn't want to fill in their career plans? Yeah. So you have, everybody has an HR system where you can leave your uh, career uh, desires, but nobody fills it in because nobody knows who's going to use it, when it's going to be used, for what is it going to be, uh, to be used. Actually, now you have the opportunity to opt in for something. So the moment that you opt in for something, then you decide what kind of data about yourself you want to uh, want to release, and therefore you want to see something in return. And that's the benefit of being matched against a project or a job of your liking, uh, or giving a bit of transparency about your data, your skills, what you want, for more transparency about the opportunities that are that are there. So it's, uh, it's, it's a nice way to putting it uh, like that, that opting in, I like it's the same with our consumers, right? We are a consumer-based uh, company. We, like, we, we love our brands and our brands need to stay relevant for uh, our consumers. Well, we as an HR function, or actually as a company, more importantly than the function itself, need to stay relevant for our employees. So that actually is uh, the core of what drives me so much in creating the talent marketplaces was a democratization of opportunities so that everybody can decide how he or she would want to develop themselves is, uh, is something that is uh, pretty dear to me. When did you know that Talent Marketplace or Flex Experiences was, was going to be successful at Unilever? Well, the first time that I knew it was going to be a big thing uh, was way back then when, when the first uh, project that we did, the first pilot was uh, successful and we got positive feedback. We then uh, created, we called it bubbles at the time, yeah, uh, to test uh, how we should create the, uh, the solution. We opened up a bubble in our foods and refreshment division and also there the marketers and people working in R&D really liked it. Then I knew we had some gold in our hands, if I may call it like that both in terms of a positive culture that we could create around transparency for opportunities for people and people to develop them uh, themselves. But the real breakthrough came uh, a little bit to my surprise uh, back in, I think it was April, where our CEO used our results on flex experiencing experiences, matching uh, people that raised their hands projects that under the COVID pressures needed additional resources and we had a campaign around that and used it for the investors to explain this is what Unilever is about. We are agile because look what is happening in a matter of uh, actually eight to nine weeks. We had a whole campaign uh, launched. We had uh, thousands of people already raising their hands that were a little bit under in uh, you know with, with capacity that say okay I want to work on the high uh, priority projects to keep our people safe, to keep our business uh, safe. And on the back of that, not per se with the Flex uh, platform, but because we had that urgency, because we had that culture, 
we were also able to move more than 9,000 people in total from one job to another job in around eight to 10 weeks. In those instances where we didn't have enough demand and in those parts of the business where we did have uh, demand, so restaurants were closed, so our food service businesses saw a very dramatic situation. On the other hand, our hand sanitizing and uh, solutions that we had and hygiene solutions that we were building, we, could, we couldn't have enough people to, uh, to be put on that. So we made a lot of those, uh, those shifts. So Flex Experiences was one of the levers to drive that agility in the, in the company to help people to accept that they could move to another job very fast. And for those that did have capacity to raise their hands and other people to really benefit from them for temporary being uh, incorporating those people on those uh, projects. So that was a moment that the light bulb went on for me, like, wow, this is something that can become really big. But we carefully built it up over time. So it was not a surprise that it was going to happen. And all of a sudden, our CEO used it to demonstrate it for our uh, investors. It was like, yeah, this is a definitive uh, breakthrough of, uh, of something that we've been dreaming of. Yeah, a really powerful a really powerful example of how you know yeah you've got the the idea and the and the culture to deliver it but then the the technology and the capability to enable it as well it's just really powerful um i think example of of how a talent marketplace can can really drive yeah sometimes we didn't think too much in tools in hr i, I still uh feel like that so that we come up with something that uh, theoretically you know is a great thing to do and then we try to look for a business problem that fits that uh, theoretical opportunity or a belief that we have that things should be like that. With the telemark place, you also run that risk. Uh, and therefore, since the beginning, we've always been saying it's not about the technology, it's about the culture that we want to create, a culture of becoming more agile, being more agile, uh, actually. The culture of stimulating people to work on their skills, lifelong learning is the uh, the theme that we uh, that we use. The culture of living up your uh, your purpose, and you need to put levers in place that make that happen. And flex experiences is, is a tool that solves the friction of opportunities and uh, where you want to develop yourself. So it was a module, a building block in that bigger vision uh, that we uh, that we had. And if you do that. What we learned is then the adoption rate of the technology grows uh, 10x before you before you know it, and that's exactly what we've been seeing in the uh, in the pickup as well. So you keep feeding, uh, you know, what's in it for you. Uh, how can we respond better on how you would want it uh, to look like, uh, and then developing that uh, the technology until it is perfectly fit for the circumstances, and then you create a breakthrough. So let's go back to the start again, because I'm going to. Ref- we had a conversation. I think it was. I think I was at Unilever two or three years ago, and you gave us a, a great talk around some of the things that you were doing in in your area at the time. And and you said to me, "I'm I'm off tomorrow to go and see a small start startup." Um, and obviously, you're a very big organization, Unilever, and I just see that they that you have this a, a kind of a appetite to, to work with smaller technology providers. As well to help deliver obviously the overall agenda that you're trying to deliver and you know for some of our listeners who also work at bigger firms it'd be interesting to hear about your approach to, to work to working with technology companies and how you balance up you know small versus large it's a very nice question david so if you have another podcast to uh, to zoom in on that uh, question alone that would be brilliant 
still remember that. Uh, actually, I still remember the moment that uh, what you're referring to because I remember that I was a little bit nervous because I needed to talk to all these bright cookies that knew everything about people analytics. Uh, and that that is uh, that, that definitely have my passion and interest, but it's not my strength, uh, so to speak. Uh, but yeah, so I remember that. Look, I think at that time what we did was um, we we went on a we called it a digital safari. Um, just just half a year before that, and in that digital safari, we went to five uh, cities physically. Can you imagine that you can go to five cities physically? I can't even imagine leaving going going to five houses at the moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So we, at the time that we could still do that, and we sent out teams to only talk to entrepreneurs in HR, startups, uh, and you could talk to scale-ups, but not too much, yeah, because we really wanted to know what's happening there at the edge of uh, innovation. What is it that entrepreneurs see that we do not see? Or what is it that they see can be scaled up that we currently are not comfortable with? Out of that safari, we selected, or each safari team could pitch for two um, uh, startups that we were going to set up some uh, some pilots uh, with. So we selected a few after that, after people pitched uh, in for it. Blood was, uh, was one of them at, uh, at the time, hence I, I paid a visit to, uh, to Israel to understand what it was and then see what kind of pilot we could, uh, we could set up. Um, but what it helped us to do is to really think three to five years down the line. Yeah? So often it's, it's not easy. Uh, I call about Horizon 1, Horizon 2 and Horizon 3 thinking. One is, you know, you need to deliver in year. The coming three, six, nine months are absolutely critical to create the business results. And then halfway through the year, you start thinking about, okay, but next year and the year after, what is it that I need to deliver? Horizon two. But you also need to let yourself be guided by what is possible in the future. Horizon three, three to five years out. And those digital safaris have helped us to create a very clear picture of how the future most likely was going to look like. We didn't know what kind of solutions, we didn't know what kind of players, but we started to see what we believed in. So our strategy was informed uh, by that. So that's the role of playing with startups the, um, that have proven to be extremely uh, value to us. The, uh, the other benefit of uh, working with, uh, with startups is that you can choose an area where you're not 100% certain of but you know that if you want to create a shifting culture in a mindset, in different ways of working, then you can start small because you've got license to, uh, to fail. So in the talent marketplace, as I just explained, that's exactly what we, uh, we've been doing. Um, and then the moment that the technology takes off, uh, then, you are, then you exactly know how you need to drive that, uh, how you need to drive that change. So it was extremely helpful. I have to make one big remark for everybody who is uh, listening in. Because we find it at the same time extremely difficult to balance working with smaller entities, with smaller startups, with smaller providers, and at the same time driving efficiency, particularly making sure that you can do it at the right uh, cost, with big platform providers. So there's, a, there's an equilibrium that you need to look for. Of how fast do you want to innovate? What are the areas where you want to be leading edge? Therefore, you want to take a risk uh, by going faster into the future. Because if you wait until the big players have completely optimized their platforms, then you become one of the, one of the many that then is going to go into a difficult implementation and adoption of the technology uh, process. So it's a very fine balance of what are the four or five areas that you really want to, uh, to set yourself uh, apart. And I think in, uh, in, uh, in Unilever, we try to do that on lifelong learning. 
Hence, we started a similar kind of process that led to our partnership with the Greeks. We did that with Gloat on, uh, on talent uh, at the moment. Uh, and now we have a third uh, leg, I would say, is how can we create agility as a way of working? But you don't need uh, technology partners uh, for that. But that's another area that we want to become uh, really, really known for. And I think one of the, obviously, we're going to get back onto talent marketplaces. And the last yeah. thing to, to on it really is, I guess, sometimes working, finding one of those smaller, at the time, uh, startups, it gives you that flexibility around a pilot because actually some of the bigger technology companies are, aren't, aren't open to doing pilots and frankly aren't agile enough to do them anyway. Although you do see that more and more. yeah. So if you, if you really say, I've invested in your platform, be it a Workday, be it a Microsoft with, uh, with Teams uh, and Degree is now not small uh, either, right? Uh, it's very recommendable to, uh, to then say, okay, let's innovate and let's look at your roadmap together. Uh, and then bring in the smaller pilots from the big tech firms into your company if you have the space for it. But you have to be choiceful, yeah? because if you're going to experiment on everything, then you're going to create uh, chaos. The types of, uh, of Workday, of Microsoft, of the grid and the big players are more and more open, particularly Microsoft, I would say, to partner up with you, to experiment with you in-house so that they can also, uh, can also learn faster than they've done uh, before. I find it actually intriguing yeah? and very fascinating to see uh, how that currently uh, currently comes uh, comes about? I think you said don't start with the technology. Start with the, the sort of the business. What's the business challenge you're trying to solve? Really, which is definitely what we say in people analytics, or you know, what's the what's the what's the bigger picture, and how can technology help? So, what are, what are other examples? Some of the business challenges that that Unilever has tried to tackle with talent marketplace. With the talent marketplace, I think the uh, the big the big one is apart from creating uh, transparency, is how can we become more agile. Yeah. That's a big friction point, I would say. So maybe I translate your words a little bit uh, into, uh, you know, uh, what is the friction point that you want to resolve? Because then technology comes in, uh, in play, right? So it's not only what is relevant for the business. Yes, definitely so. But you have to combine that with the friction that you want to resolve for. Yeah? Because then you can do it in a more efficient and in a more uh, uh, cost uh, uh, effective uh, way if you uh, if you think about it. So becoming more agile definitely is one because you want to be able to, in a less hierarchical environment, shift resources faster to where the growth opportunity or margin opportunities are. And with resources, I, I don't mean money alone. I also mean people. And so what agile really is about is what is your biggest growth opportunity and how do you prioritize that? So you have to have a less hierarchical uh, culture for that. Because yeah? if everybody is ring-fenced and is looking into the pyramids, how they can make a career and are only paying the service to the boss, well, the boss of the boss, then you, you, know, you become completely uh, stagnant uh, in a way. But if you say, this is the value, these are the kind of skills that I need to tap into that business opportunity that I have, so where are the people that can flow to that uh, work that needs to be done? Uh, how can I dynamically allocate resources towards that, money and, uh, and people? That's a big friction point uh, that we want to uh, resolve. So there's, there's something, there's almost like a holy grail, right? Because on the one hand, you know you need to have new skills. So you need to make sure that you let people experiment with building new skills or where they can have their skills being deployed on a bigger impact for, uh, for the company. 
on the on the one hand. And as a company, you want to be super agile to move people around to grab those uh, opportunities. So those two friction points of closing the skill gap and creating a uh, more agile company, they are glued uh, together. And that's why I believe that the talent marketplace is going to be critical for every company to really understand what it uh, what it can uh, can bring. I'd be interested, you know, probably putting your business partner hat on now. I mean, how do HR and the business work together? And I don't think HR is separate from the business, I hasten to But how do the HR team and the teams in the business work together to, to ensure the success with, with Talent Marketplace? Yeah, so, so if I uh, look at my own uh, batch, uh, beauty and personal care, then uh, I can mention two, uh, two examples. Uh, I think uh, working on the culture and the mindset and the interventions on how to do dynamic resource allocation, we did that in uh, March, April a lot. So literally workshopping through with our top leadership to say, what are your priorities on your innovations? Which one do you need to bring forward that will still make an impact this year where you see the growth opportunities? How can you bring your innovation projects that are too small and starting to become irrelevant given what the pandemic is doing to uh, to us? And then shift your resources, even cross categories. And so out of oral care into skin cleansing because that's high growth. So, and we, and we didn't have the muscle and we're still building up that muscle because it's very, very tough. You need to imagine that, you know, skin cleansing is, uh, is a 4 billion euro uh, business. So how do you, and all our categories are roughly like that. So how do you move people then out of one patch into another? You think it's big, so surely you've got enough. No, the bigger it is, the more people defend it almost because they see big business opportunities. So how do you do that from a leadership perspective? Because it requires a lot of, top leadership that works with, uh, with one another uh, together. So that's what we did a lot in April, uh, May. And then out of that become uh, roll a lot of projects once you've made the choices that you then can more flexibly staff up with people. So that was an area where Flex Experiences has uh, proven uh, its, uh, its point. The other one was uh, sometimes you, you don't have resources. Yeah? So uh, we, uh, we have a concept that's called Excubator which is basically we want to support smaller companies that have beautiful but small brand IDs to serve our consumers, particularly in the beauty uh, space. And this is an example out of, uh, out of China. And we wanted to make sure that we understood and could support those entrepreneurs in the field of what kind of brands they were creating, because it, it creates a lot of insight, right? It's almost like understanding the trends of where is consumer behavior going towards what is their liking, etc. But we could also support them because then if we could support them with our knowledge, with our skills, with our understanding, we could help them to grow. And then in, in return, we could either invest in that business or when they are big enough for our scale, we could even agree to maybe uh, buy them. So, you know, you want to create a relationship with those uh, entrepreneurs. So we call that the excubator. We have one director that's working on that and a team of zero yeah, is interacting with 150 entrepreneurs at the moment. But what has that person done? She only has defined projects on how to serve those entrepreneurs and those projects he starts up through the Flex Experience platforms for people that want to step in for a couple of weeks, couple of hours, couple of months, because they're excited about that opportunity, want to have a new type of experience, and on the back of that, learn a new, uh, a new skill. But those are two, I find, two lovely examples of you know, what is a business, uh, it's, and, and I think the business actually has figured out that it was a requirement that they had, 
I had a solution available already. This is how you can uh, how you can do it. And this is how we try to bring that to life. And once you've got such an example, you put a spotlight on it, and then more teams would want to join your. Uh, Probably got a queue of people <laughs> lining up now. Yeah. Um, so it, there's a growing awareness that impl- I mean, from everything you've said, this is this is obvious anyway. There's a growing awareness that implementing a talent marketplace isn't a one-off project. Believe it not, it's a transformation. It requires a significant cultural shift. I mean, how have employees and managers responded to talent marketplace, and how do you get away from maybe a culture of talent hoarding, for example, amongst managers? You know, how do you? I suppose you have to show the benefit to managers so that they they then play effectively. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be too scared about talent hoarding. Yeah, because first you have to break down the barriers of uh, you know that, that that talent can make the jump to other uh, to other functions. Uh, for me, that's uh, showing that it is reciprocal. Yeah, because as a good team lead, you need to develop your people. How can you best develop your people on real work? Uh, when you are a busy team leader, you are always short of uh, resources. So the moment that that is the click, that if I allow my people to develop themselves, then they create, then they can get more opportunities of getting the right people on their projects as uh, as well. Or uh, I think. At least in, in, in our company, in Unilever, I think people are starting to be fed up with um, a, a process that they chopped up into pieces. People hate bureaucracy. What does digital transformation do? It helps you to understand how end-to-end the process needs to be organized. So therefore, breaking down the functional barriers where they don't make any sense other than building up expertise uh, People that are people quite quickly jump on uh, on that, and the moment that they realize that that is the case, they also realize that they constantly have a need to, are in a need of multiple skills to get an increasingly more job to be done, really done. Um, so yeah, that's that. It's education in a way. It's also learning yourself how to do it. Yeah, um, and then breaking down the barriers as you uh, as you go. Uh, but the moment that you are in a tipping point then it's almost automatically. And tipping points are being created by a unique moment where the business sees its benefit, like we had in, uh, in April, uh, when top leadership sees uh, what the benefits uh, could be, or when employees see that there's a friction uh, that's being resolved for them and therefore generates a benefit uh, for them. So that's, uh, yeah, I think talent hoarding, um, I'm not so afraid of that. I was actually triggered by when you were saying that talent hoarding, um, because it's still you, you open up opportunities for people. So you still need to be selected in. So yeah, the opportunity is there. You can put yourself forward. You see more opportunities, but it's you know you, you still need to be releasable, as they say. Yeah, so it's that people are going to hop from one project to the other, from one job to the other, because you also need to deliver consistently. In a uh, in a job, right? So I'm I'm not afraid of uh, of that, uh, to be honest. But it might be the next uh, lesson learned as we go into the next phase of uh, more and more people getting on uh, on flex experiences. Although I think, yeah, as you were saying quite rightly, you know, the the managers get benefit as well. So I've always got, as you said, you're always you always feel under resourced as a manager. You've always got projects that you need to deliver on and you might not always have easy access to those skills within your team. So actually having the ability to bring people in to support those projects, it's a bit of, it's give and take, isn't it, at the end of the day? So, um, 
and then employees are, you know. Before you before you go, David, there's, there's however one thought that you triggered that is I think relevant with this. What we haven't figured out yet. What does it mean for who owns your career? Is often one says, right? Is that your boss, or is that a career coach, or what does it mean for your job title that you have? So, are you an assistant brand manager in Dove for Dove in the UK? Or are you a brand manager with a, a spike in uh, innovation that can be deployed on Dove or on SunSilk or on Axe? Yeah, so uh, creating pools of people that can flow to the work. We're currently entering the phase now in Unilever where we're starting to explore and understand what it means for the career proposition to, uh, to people. And there is scratch from the surface, to be honest. So if there are any listeners that have cracked that nut uh, already, then uh, please uh, let them be in contact uh, with me. But that I think for, that is what the talent marketplace and working in a less hierarchical environment and moving into agile is going to uh, to provoke. So who owns then your career? You yourself. But who helps you with that? And how do you define the responsibilities of your job around the skills and experiences that you actually want or have at a certain moment in time? I'm, I'm actually quite curious how that is going to unfold in the coming 12 to 18 months in uh, in Unilever. So we have a couple of experiments that we've set up around that. But Agile is taking off now so fast that we really lean in to, uh, to give guidance to people. What does it mean for them, including pay, by the way? Yeah. So how are you going to be paid for a skill that is now unique for that critical and strategic project, but maybe not so much in two to three years' time? I don't know how to resolve for that. <laughs> no, it certainly becomes far more complex. I mean, that, I mean that's, uh, but it might that might not be a bad thing to, to go away from the kind of rigid rigidity of of the past. So, not agile to be rigid, is it? So it's um, yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. So we talked a little bit about skills, and, and it's not just about skills, of course. And you talk, I think you mentioned skills almost as a currency. I think as well. How difficult is it to understand your workforce in terms of skills? You know, what advice would you give to organizations embarking on a journey to map their workforce skills? Yeah, I, I think that uh, the technology companies are much better at that because a skill is, is more measurable yeah, because they, uh, yeah, it literally is a technical uh, skill. Um, for us, it's a little bit more difficult because we've got more soft skills, uh, so to speak, that are uh, also uh, creating uh, value for us. Think about creativity when you want to create uh, a marketing campaign. Um, uh, and then you get to the point of how do you measure it? Yeah? What are the levels of skill proficiency? Um, and we're experimenting a, a lot with that. It's not easy. So do you do that together with your team lead, uh, do you do that on your own or do you need to have the expert point of view in that, which then makes it a very lengthy uh, process. So I think uh, I, I, technology companies definitely are further ahead in the, in the game. I think we are, the word is not half pregnant, that's not, not the right way, but I think we're halfway in understanding uh, how we need to do that. What we've done, however, is uh, we made it obligatory literally uh, this year, uh, we started last year already, that everybody has a future fit plan. And in that future fit plan, we want you to think about what your purpose is. Yeah. So ideally you have it already and you've been on that, uh, that journey, not to say. We want you to, uh, to think about um, 
the type of roles that you would want to uh, to do, that you think, yeah? also the ones that you could dream up in the future that might emerge. And then we want you to think about what are the three to five skills that you need to develop to make yourself uh, future fit, uh, literally. Not everybody likes a word, but I like it a lot because we just want to make sure that, you, that you're fit for uh, for the future, literally, what the word, the word uh, says. Uh, and instead of therefore looking backwards of what skills do we have for making us successful in the past, you try to not bother too much about that. It's important, but more important is, can we see what people are developing for? And then we can match what people want to develop themselves for with what we consider to be the critical skills in a certain area. I almost use the word function, by the way, but you should not use that word function. But in a certain uh, area, if you are a uh, brand manager, what is then the three to five skills, which when you're a brand manager with a spike towards innovation, will be different than when you have a brand manager role with a spike for advertising, engagement, and digital interaction. So when you see those role plans then, what kind of skills do you need for those type of uh, roles that you would want to play in the future, or you want to become better at it, then you can define what is my skill gap. And when we have an overview of the skill gaps of our people, we can match it up with what we think where we need to be in the coming three years. And that's, a very, that's what we try to do. That becomes a very healthy insight on uh, what we need to sell in better that those are critical skills or where we need to put more uh, online and offline training courses uh, on or also if one particular skill is very popular, what's behind that? Yeah, is it because everybody is attracted to that or is it because we've got a serious uh, gap in that? That's how we try to uh, do that. So the future fit plan is, is assessments are still important, uh, but it, it moves you more forward and it becomes more strategic than when you want to really draw a baseline. Uh, and then you might be looking too much towards the back rather than looking into the future. Brilliant. And, um, unfortunately, we're coming towards the end, but I've got two more questions. First one really is, um, you know, what a, where, do, where do you think is you go next with, with Flex Experiences? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I think external, to be honest. Yeah, if I, if I look at Horizon 2 in 18 to 24 months, it's definitely external. I think we, we, we've got a very strong uh, user base now. Uh, so around 40% uh, of uh, people are heavy users, as we, uh, as we call them. That's a good base, and they do that on projects. And we're now also scaling up the way that we post uh, jobs. Yeah? So we're rolling that out, both the more traditional jobs and, uh, and the projects, and that, that becomes one blend, including opportunities to be uh, mentored and then uh, linked into the grid to get uh, offerings on, uh, on, uh, on learning. So that becomes more like a fluid uh, um, way of uh, developing yourself. But I think the next... Uh, holy grail actually is to connect that with external. So we have got pieces of work that are still in the experimental phase where um, we want to offer up what we train our people internally up for to also offer that uh, outside. So we've got, uh, I don't know if you've seen the launch of the social commitments of Unilever, but we committed ourselves to uh, train up 10 million uh, youngsters um, that run the risk to become uh, unemployed even after they left uh, school. So we want to offer up our training modules uh, externally to prepare them better for an entrepreneurial life, for a life in a government NGO, but also uh, for companies like Unilever. So we want to offer that up. 
so that's very linked to what we try to do with our platforms on the grid and our platforms like uh, like Load and our philosophy of when you know your purpose, what kind of experience you want, then you need to understand what kind of skills you will build. So we want to offer that uh, up. The moment that you offer that up, you can connect that with your talent marketplace internally so that the internal external marketplace becomes the same. So that when I am a team lead, in the next uh, holy grail. When I'm a team lead, I want to I wanna look at skills and experience of people, whether they sit internally already on the Unilever payroll, if they are part of, uh, of our outer circle, as we call it, people that have been in contact that like Unilever's purpose, mission, and our brands, now we can tap into them as well so that you can quickly onboard them, even if they come from the outside, so that we can tap into that flexible layer uh, in a much more seamless way. So... The next big thing for me is how can you resolve the friction of an organizational boundary? And if we uh, translate that to the talent marketplace, how can you resolve the friction of an internal talent marketplace with an external talent marketplace? And if we do that, then I think we open up the real future of work because then, uh, you know, offices we don't have uh, no longer, but then all organizational boundaries starts to shift and we give much more opportunity for people to develop themselves in the way that they want and in a way that drives business so that you can, can create um, uh, wealth for people uh, and society and then the circle is uh, closed again. Yeah, now I suppose you, you could take that even further. You could connect with other internal marketplaces in other companies, maybe not direct competitors, but in other companies that where there's a complementary set of skills if it, if it were and you can kind of borrow from each other but you've got enabled by this technology that helps you to do that that's not yet another uh, podcast that we can dive into uh, david but we call that future of work uh, initiatives and there we specifically zoom into uh, our factory employees so we've got experiments for example currently in argentina which we call uh, the consortia that we've created we've done that during the pandemic where people were without work and we needed and we needed work so they break, broke down the boundaries of collective labor agreements. And they said, okay, temporarily people working in the in automation factories are going to work in the sales force in Unilever. And other people are being deployed in, in other companies as part of that consortium of six companies. So they started to offer up opportunities temporarily just because of the crisis. But the learnings that we get out of that of one skill needed in one place, not needed in another place. So we, we really put spotlights on those experiments. We call that the future of, uh, of work. And then all of a sudden you transform lifelong learning into creating employment opportunities for people. Because then it's no longer you are being employed by Unilever alone, no, you're being employed by Unilever and the consortium of which it makes part. And then uh, all of a sudden, the world is uh, a much friendlier place when it comes to, uh, to work, because then you can move around from one company to the other company in a much more flexible way, whilst you are developing your skills, optimizing the friction again between demand and supply of people that have uh, skills to uh, offer. Well, that's, that's, that's another way of where the talent marketplace uh, for sure will go, in my view. So maybe we need to uh, maybe we need to mark this date, uh, David. That in three years' time you invite me again in the podcast and you say, "Look, six years ago we had a symposium where you said you travel to uh, <laughs> you travel to Israel." Maybe this time we say, "Do you remember?" 
we spoke about how we can use a telemarketplace to actually fix employability um, um, issues that we have currently in uh, in society. That would be a great dream if we could uh, if we could establish that. It will, and I think this leads very nicely onto the the question we're asking everyone this series. Will talent marketplaces mean jobs don't exist anymore? Well, the answer obviously is uh, is no. Jobs, jobs will exist, but that will be much more broader defined, in my view. It's that point that I made earlier. You are not the assistant brand manager of Dove in the UK. You are a brand manager with a spike. Yeah? And you've got a clear purpose, and you want to build your experiences, and you're going to refresh your skills along the way. That's what I think the future of career development is, uh, is going to be. And then jobs, where you do it, you match your purpose with the company or with the whatever the organizational entity is then going to be called in that consortium to move around to uh, to live your purpose and that's what i wish uh, for everybody so yeah not uh, not ring fenced uh, jobs where you need to be uh, just working in a process but really i think that's what every hr uh, professional wants right you want to unleash potential in people that's why you chose the uh, the profession well let's then understand what your purpose is understand what kind of uh, experiences you want in a professional life and then how we can help you with building the skills to get those experiences and have a fantastic professional uh, career and use it outside of your profession as well. Well, Jeroen, it's been a fantastic conversation and I think we definitely need to have you on maybe even before three years again. But thanks for being a guest. Can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you? Uh, in LinkedIn, drop me, uh, drop me a connect. Uh, and then I will uh, respond uh, to it. Uh, and that will be fantastic. Uh, very keen to get ideas from uh, from listeners that uh, you know that that are provocative, that can uh, can help us uh, in Unilever to accelerate some of the ideas that we have. Uh, and we're very willing to uh, collaborate with everybody who has a has a great idea. And thanks for all the questions. You're quite provocative, uh, David, because it also helps me to uh, formulate my own ideas as I uh, as I go. So I wrote down two or three things. That I need to dig in a little bit, uh, a little bit deeper with the teams. Uh, so uh, thanks a lot. I think you might be the first company where we've had two people from uh, the company on the podcast. We had Lena obviously on uh, eighteen months ago now. So, but you're, it's always fascinating talking to anyone who's working in in HR at Unilever. You're doing some amazing things. So, uh, so thanks very much. Oh, my pleasure. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the My HR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the My HR Future website. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be speaking to Ruslan Tufbulatov, Chief Marketing Officer at Gloat. So don't miss that one. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.